Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. Well, hello again. Let me tell you about this fascinating young woman that's going to be my guest today, Dr. Fami Farah. Isn't that fun? I love to say it, Dr. Fami Farah. Did I say it correctly? You did. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Uh, Farah has so many things to share with you today, not only about her practice, but about her talents and gifts, what's going on with COVID. We're even going to be talking about masks. She brought some. We're going to learn how to select the right ones. It's awesome. But let me share your her credentials. She's very accomplished and trained as an invasive uh, cardiologist and specializes in all kinds of heart conditions as well as nuclear cardiology, echocardiology, cardiography, I should say, and women's heart disease. She has her own institution. I don't know that I'd want to come to an institution. <laughs> Institute, call it whatever you want. It's her area, uh, her own practice, where it's called Texas Bentley Heart. I'm going to tell you in a minute why it's called Texas Bentley Heart. Uh, And so the other thing up front to mention is this is all about her credentials now. Uh, She is the founder, actually, of the founding director of the Global Health Alliance. So much to talk about today. Welcome on my show. Thank you, Valerie. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, It's it's such an honor to be on your show. Thank you for having me. (laughs) And it's an honor to have you. You know, when we talked on the phone and I was doing the pre-interview, you shared with me so many fascinating things (laughs) that I don't think any doctor I've ever talked with has the amount of gifts and talents, never mind what you're doing as a fantastic doctor. And I wanna talk about some of those things. Such a multifaceted background. And um, I think I just wanna start with how did you become a doctor? Everyone wants to know, did you always wanna be a doctor? Did you? (laughs) Well, yes, as a matter of fact. um, I come from a family of heart disease. You know, it runs um, pretty wild in my family. A lot of um, people have died prematurely as early as their 40s. Um, Mm. And so I grew up seeing that. I grew up, uh, a a large part of my life was, you know, going in and out of hospitals and stuff. So that interest of, you know, looking up to a doctor and the hope they bring uh, in the most vulnerable time of a person's life, that's what inspired me to, you know, hopefully someday become a doctor. So I I had that um, desire to be a physician from a very early on in, in you know, I was, a, I was in elementary school, as a matter of fact. Um, and then so I, you know, took every step in that direction. So uh, it was a very tough, long journey. Um, no part of it was easy. It took a lot of hard work, dedication, hearing a lot of no's, a lot of roadblocks, but you just have to work right through them. And so here I am. What was the hardest part? I've always wondered, and I've talked with many doctors about their journey, uh, but as a woman, was it more difficult? 
Oh, absolutely. Yes, I would. I would like to think so. Um, I know things are improving. Um, you know, especially in the last uh, two to three years, things are headed in the right direction. But uh, when I was applying for medical school, it, you know, like the statistics will tell you, it was not even. We were not on the even ground. Um, uh, so yeah, that part did have its own challenges. Just being a female. Why um, is it not even? What do you mean by that? Well, um, the statistics will show you that, you know, it was not a 50-50, you know, male versus uh, female in any classroom, you know, in any medical school classroom. Um, But even after medical school, you know, I went through medical school for four years. Um, It's very difficult, actually, to get accepted to medical school. There's a lot you have to do. Um, Your GP, you have to be, you know, top of your class. You have to make sure your GPA is, you know, very good. It has to be close to 4.0 for you to be competitive. Um, And uh, there's something called the MCAT. It is the admissions um, examination for medical school. That was like a monster, you know, like that's how difficult that test was, um, at least for me, you know, um, took months and months of preparation. And during my time, the test was, uh, I believe it was almost 10 hours in one sitting. Like, you know, you did get like small breaks in between, but it was not just an examination of, um, you know, your knowledge, but it was also an examination of endurance. It was, I remember preparing for the MCAT it was such a such an ordeal. Um, even though it's almost a ten hour long exam, you're fighting against the clock because you're timed. Um, so you know you have to prepare in a certain way for the knowledge part of it. But I remember preparing also as if it was a marathon. I changed my diet. I was eating certain things during the daytime, certain things in the afternoon, especially when I was doing my practice exams. Um, you know, I would start out with like protein, high protein diet, no carb, just because I didn't want that crash in the middle. And then, um, you know, eat a little bit more, lots of bananas for the (laughs) potassium and the energy. And um, at the end, for the last section, the last part of the exam, I would just give everything like, you know, that I love, like chocolate, like, you know, um, all of that, just to get that boost of energy to get through the last part of it. So it was, it's fun to think about those moments because it really was like a sport almost. It was like a marathon preparing for that exam. So then you have to get, yeah, so then you have to get over the hurdle of, you know, getting a solid, like, you know, competitive score on the MCAT. And then there's a lot of other things you have to find you know, if you do volunteer work, you have to shadow a doctor if you have the opportunity to do so because that would set you apart from the other applicants. That's where one of my challenges came actually um, because hmm. I came from a family of patients, you know, but I didn't have any exposure to healthcare, like, you know, um, physicians. Mm-hmm. So to find a doctor, in order for you to be able to shadow, you have to know somebody, like an actual doctor, who would allow you to go and do that with them. And I didn't have that contact. And I remember, you know, I was young. I was a college student at that time. I was just so disheartened that I didn't have that um, exposure to a physician. Even I, the physicians that I helped your family? Right, no, um, I did not have that because you know it's it's very formal, like that patient and physician relationship. It wasn't, 
yeah, no, it wasn't that kind of relationship where I can buddies. just right no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, ultimately, I you know after months of trying, I was able to get my shadowing experience with someone, and I'm very grateful to them for that. Um, but the challenge was real for me, not having that mentorship. You know how sure. to get into medical school, and I think it's so important uh, mentorship for young generations, young people who are trying to you know, become physicians, do good for the community. Sometimes they just need direction. And that direction is, it can make your life so much smoother and easier, something I didn't have. Mm. So um, finally made it to medical school. And, um, you know, um, in medical school, I had a great experience. You know, I, um, I didn't feel any gender difference in medical school i have to be honest you know um, where was medical school uh, i went to texas tech school of medicine um health sciences center it was in lubbock texas and um i I had great set of friends i um i had a lot of great mentors in texas tech and i think that made a big difference for me and um the mentor that i will mention he's very important to me um is the dean of the School of Medicine, Dr. Burke, Dr. Stephen Burke. He was um, a great supporter. I've learned so much from him. Um, I actually got to work with him very closely um, because in medical school is really when my leadership skills flourished. I um, I had the opportunity to um, become the president of uh, an organization called Student National Medical um, Association. I was the president for two years, the second and third years of my medical school. And uh, during that time, I was really able to focus on things that were important to me. So I used that platform to do certain things. Uh, For instance, what I experienced trying to get accepted to medical school and not having that mentorship, what it meant to me. So through this organization, I established, um, you know, mentorship programs. Um, I started it at both uh, one at high school and one at the um, Texas Tech um, undergraduate campus. Um, Fabulous. Yes, the goal was to help people, um, you know, disadvantaged students um, at high school and undergraduate level to have that opportunity to talk to someone, to have that exposure so that they can guide them, hey, do this, do that, don't do that. So that was that was nice. Um, I'm really big on public health. Um, so I established a um, an annual health fair for the community in Lubbock, Texas. Um, that was one of the first ones actually that was that large um, where we provided the opportunity for the community people for that one day to come in and get essential screenings done, you know, so they could screen their, you know, blood pressure uh, for diabetes. Um, we had an array of specialties uh, available in different booths. So we had cardiology, we had primary care physicians, um, OB-GYN, we had uh, ophthalmology. So we were actually giving free eye exams to some of the patient's cholesterol um, screening. So it was very helpful. We got really excellent feedback from the community and to engage the community. You know, if we want to have, you know, health is such an important part of every community for uh, advancement. And the only way to do that really is by incorporating your community. And it was just a great way of doing that. 
My goodness. And it's ongoing, I'm sure. It's ongoing, yes. Mm -hmm. So all those leadership attributes, you, what I love about you is that you've got the social aspect and then you've got the intellectual aspect over here. <laughs> and now I want to talk about the talent aspect. Oh, sure. <laughs> this is so fun. I can't wait to tell the audience about this. So you shared with me that at a very early age, you found out that you could sing beautifully <laughs> and you're an incredible artist. All right. <laughs> at what age and how did all that happen? I think that's sure. Um, well, thank you for asking that question. That's I don't get that get asked that question very many times. <laughs> I usually talk about health. Um, so yeah, art came to me um, as an well. I was very little at that time. It was an elementary school. I remember we were going to. It was art class. It was art class. So we were all heading to our art class. And this was the first day when our art teacher was going to teach us how to paint. So when we arrived to the classroom, we had um, you know, watercolor paint, a piece of paper, just white basic piece of paper sure. and, some, and a brush one brush <laughs> and um and we had some shapes you know like triangles um circle rectangular shapes very basic very basic so our teacher when we arrived just told us okay you have some shapes you have these colors just choose your shape and paint and she only gave us three colors it was uh blue yellow and red the three primary the colors yes and she gave us two shades the black and white so altogether <laughs> we had five and so she told us you can make any color you want just paint your shape that's your task for today and you're how old now? so um i i was nine nine yeah okay. i was nine and uh so I'm like here we start so all my friends we they all started with their shapes and i was just so fascinated by the fact that you could make any color you want to out of these three colors. So I was just like having like the time of my life, you know, like figuring out how to, I spent like- Mixing it all. Yeah, mixing yeah. it. So I like created every color. I'm like, this is so much fun. So then I just got lost in it and I painted. Um, so I I shared that painting with you. Um, it's my first painting ever actually. So I completely forgot about the shape part by the end of the class and you know, it came pretty quickly. I guess it was an hour-long class. And uh, so my teacher said, all right, we're done for today. Everybody hold up what you painted. I want to see your shape. So everybody held up their papers. And I was so nervous. I didn't want to hold up mine, so I didn't. I was just like, I don't want to hold up mine because I didn't do a you shape. Were, you were out of the shapes. <laughs> out of shapes. So I just, I was so afraid because I thought I was going to get into a lot of trouble because I completely did not follow any direction, you know? So then she's like, no, hold it up. So I held up my, you know, work. And she just like didn't say anything. She was just like silent, silently staring at it. And it just like terrified me because I was like, wow, I don't know what's gonna happen. Because you know, I was someone who never got in trouble. I put in a lot of efforts into not getting into trouble. And um, all these thoughts were just going through my heads like, oh my God, they're probably gonna call my parents. My mom's gonna ask me why I did this. Like all these thoughts, you know? <laughs> but to my surprise, um, she was very kind. And um, she really liked what I did. And uh, she actually 
let me do what I wanted to for the rest of the year in that class. She um, saw your gift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she told me, you don't have to do anything that we're doing, just paint. So she just let me paint for the last, rest of the year. And she was so kind that she actually provided me with the supplies. Uh, uh, so she wow. told me, like, here's Canvas if you want to do Canvas. Um, so basically she was upgrading me from piece of paper to canvas <laughs> so um, then that's when I started painting on canvas she provided me with acrylic and oil paint so uh, the rest of my paintings were all oil and acrylic and I you paint today I do <laughs> yes. and, and do you paint uh, for me for for just stress release or joy or when do you take the paints out Yes. Um, so now, and you know, for all of my life, it's been a hobby. You know, it's something I really enjoy painting. So it's been more for a getaway. Yeah. You know, it's it's been a really really awesome stress relief for me because when I, you know, create my own colors, I'm in my own little world and I'm just away from everything. You know, so it's the biggest peaceful. Peaceful. Yes, it's very peaceful for me. And I wanted to let you know, you know, the first painting I ever did, well, actually, before even that, so I've always wanted to be a doctor, even before I started painting. So even before I was nine years old, I wanted to be a doctor. Um, But after that painting started, you know, I started to get a lot of encouragement from not just my teacher, but the entire school that I needed to go into art. So um, I actually, um, you know, in in New York, I I grew up in New York. um, So going from elementary to middle school and then um, when you're moving on from middle school to high school, Mm -hmm. it's very much like a college application process uh, if you want to go to a good school. Mm -hmm. So you have to actually apply and get accepted. So my teacher really wanted me to apply to um, an art school. it was um, one of the really good art schools in New York. And um, so I applied and they had a pretty rigorous um, set of you know requirements. So they require you to put together a portfolio and they have like, you know, certain things they want in that portfolio. Um, it took me a year to create that portfolio. So I created it with the help of my art teacher and then um, you submit that portfolio, and then if you if they like it, they call you for an interview. So I actually got the interview, and I remember the day of the interview was so. Every time I go back, it was it it, it was snowing. It snowed a lot in New York. It was winter, and I remember I was little. You know, I was I was small at that time. You're still small. You're <laughs> still small. <laughs> I guess I didn't grow that much. <laughs> um, but yeah, my mom. My mom was pregnant with uh, my little brother at that time. And uh, so it was my mom and um, one of her friends who were taking me uh, to this interview. So I remember walking through that snow and it was brutal, the cold. It was just blowing me away almost because my portfolio was the size of me. It was like this (laughs) giant black thing that I was carrying. And every time the wind blew, I was going with it. You know, like, that's how we arrived at the interview. <laughs> Those memories. Those memories, yes. So I didn't know what to expect when I arrived at the at the interview. Um, but it was an all-day long interview. Uh, they had different stations with actual real-life models. So they had, like, all these models, like, on top of tables. And uh, you go from station to station, and they time you. And you have to, like, paint or draw or sketch, whatever, you know. 
and you do that all day for the entire day and then at the end of it they have an actual um in person like a person sitting in front of you and interviewing you like talking to you uh, and going through your personal portfolio that you created so all that that day was over and then i actually got accepted you know to my surprise i actually got accepted at all and then um that was you know towards the end of eighth grade and um you know, I was little, I was excited, so I'm like, yeah, I want to go. I want to go into art school, and everybody was encouraging me at school. But then uh, that's the time when my family moved from New York to Texas. Mm. Uh, so, you know, that obviously didn't happen. I didn't end up going to um, art school, and and I don't know that I would have even if I stayed in New York because, you know, I even at a, Still yeah, even a as a kid, I I was at that dichotomy. Like, you know, I do want to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. So I ended up, um, you know, making that a hobby more th- rather than a professional um, thing. But I wanted to let you know my first painting that I did, um, the very first one with that incidence, you know, uh, in my art class, that painting is very special and it went to a very special place. So in medical school, so going back to medical school, I started, um, you know, uh, one of the tasks I was um, given as the president was to increase uh, diversity, medical school, classroom Mm -hmm. diversity. So the way I um, solved that problem was, um, you know, um, diversifying is by um, creating scholarship, basically, um, to help disadvantaged students to help them and to attract them to come to the School of Medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the way I did it is by um, organizing a fundraising gala. And it was a multicultural fundraising gala. So there's a story there. So when I first introduced the idea of having this gala, nobody was on board. I got a lot of pushback from, you know, the other officers, my a lot of friends um they had you know they had all good intentions for me um they were not giving me pushback they were discouraging you they were discouraging me but with good intentions because you know i was a medical student and they they were concerned like how much time it was going to take up like medical school is a very rigorous place you know you're studying day and night like when will i find the time to do this um so they were looking out for me you know they were discouraging but they were looking out for me um but there was one person who believed in me and that was dr burke the There's dean Dr. of the Burke School of again. Medicine. Yeah, so he was just like, at that same table as the others were saying, oh, we don't know about that. He was like, wait a minute, tell me more. So there it started, you know, so I got a lot of support from him. And so we did the gala the the first year, the very first year I was the president, um, and it was an enormous success. Um, it was instantly one of the largest um, you know, fundraising events in Lubbock, Texas. It was the second largest at, during its first, like the inaugural year. Uh, we raised um, over $50,000 that, that oh first year. Uh, so when we raised that money, then the question came, now how do we divide, like, you know, is it all going to go to scholarship? Mm-hmm. And of course, yes, that was the purpose for it. But I decided at that time with the help of Dr. Burke um, to actually split that money in half. Um to make half of it go instantly to uh, scholarship for the incoming students that are coming in. But the other half, I decided to create an endowment. No, um, smart. A, an endowment. So mm-hmm. the idea behind that was that 
down the road when I'm no longer here mm-hmm. for some reason if this banquet stops mm-hmm. this scholarship will stop too and we didn't want that so we wanted to generate uh, basically a self um, creating scholarship down the road many years later even mm-hmm. if this banquet is not to be there so for the last several years all the money like you know half of it kept going into the endowment and so now the endowment is actually generating its own scholarship we've given out many scholarships to students through this um, and uh, and the banquet the good thing is the banquet is still ongoing it is very successful it has what i've been told it it has it has um, been able to earn more than a million dollars since its inauguration. And um, where I was going with this, with the painting, is that my painting, my very first painting, sold at the auction at this event, at this gala. Um, and it went towards scholarship for a disadvantaged student. How much student. did you get for your painting? It was not much. It was only a few hundred dollars. But hey, you know, it was, oh, (laughs) that's heartwarming. So, you know, that went to a really good cause. It went to a good cause. All these good causes. (laughs) You've been doing incredible things. Uh, You talked about being a mentor and you know the power of that. In terms of, um, of just things that you've learned in your own life, uh, one of the things that I think is important to talk about is what you've learned now with COVID. And tell us from your perspective, and then we're going to see masks too. Tell us about what it was like when it first started and how did you pivot to put together whatever disciplines you had to. We now know if we go into doctor's offices today or telemedicine, (laughs) but we now know and we see all the disciplines that are in place. Yes. How did that happen for you? How did you do that? Yeah, it was um, a very challenging task to say the least. Um, Did you have time? Did Did they say next week? This is what you... No, it was actually instant. It was overnight for us. It was overnight. Uh, it was overnight for us. Okay. So, um, you know, um, the whole thing was just so challenging. It, it, and it came so quickly. You know, it came... We went from, it's not here in the U.S. yet, to, oh my goodness, it's everywhere. We've got it. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so traditionally, the way, you know, I have my own um, cardiovascular clinic Um and traditionally, in a clinic, what happens is we see patients in the clinic. You know, telemedicine was out there, but mm-hmm. it was definitely not so prominent. Uh, so majority of the patients in my clinic, like, you know, 100% of the patients were being seen the traditional way prior to COVID, um, you know, in, in-house, in clinic, sure. very um, routine. Now, we went from that, you know, the traditionally seeing patient in the clinic to overnight switching to telemedicine, where we were having to give access to patients from their home. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was an enormous task. Um, all the technology you, know, all the you technology had to get. We had to, but you know, my staff and uh, my team did a fantastic job. Uh, we were successful. I mean, 
we said, okay, starting tomorrow, we're going telehealth. And the next day we went telehealth. Mm. So I have to give a lot of credit to my wonderful staff. They did a phenomenal job of uh, implementing that. You know, uh, there was a certain amount of security that we had to implement. Um, so er- as a team, we really came together. I have to give a lot of credit to my our patients as well. Because, you know, in cardiology, a lot of our patients are not so you know, they're not very familiar with technology, you know, like modern technology. Um, and I don't say that, <laughs> so in a, I, know. <laughs> I don't say that in a negative way, because I myself, I'm, I'm not very technologically advanced. I'm a cardiologist, you know, <laughs> I'm not a tech person. Um, but yeah, so th- there was that challenge for all of us to get on board with technology, which um, patients actually initially, um, we took a lot of that burden, you know, because we had to coach our patients how to do it from their uh-huh. end. Uh-huh. So I actually dedicated a staff to do just that. Okay, so, that's smart. Yeah, because I didn't want, because a lot of the patients, they were a little bit panicked when mm-hmm. we first told them that, <coughs> excuse me, you don't have to come to the clinic. We're going to come to you just through, through media. Yeah. So they were like, well, I don't know how to do that. Just show so, up. <laughs> yes. So we basically told them, you don't have to do anything. We will handle all of it. So I dedicated a staff who would like, you know, call them, walk them through step the by process, step, the process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we just told them, like, you don't have to do anything. Like, we do everything, which made it really a lot simpler for the patient population. And now they love it, the patients. Sure. Because, you know, telehealth is such an amazing tool. Um, I don't think it should ever go away. It is an eye opener Mm -hmm. as a physician, like what it does, what it's capable of doing to the community as far as access to medicine goes. It it is. Yes. We are reaching people like miles away, you know, like far away. we are, you know, there are certain groups of people, mobility is such an issue, you know, like they're on wheelchair, mm-hmm. um, they have to arrange for rides because they're dependent on a ride. So it takes up not just a lot of effort, not just from the patient standpoint, but their caretaker, they have to take that day off. This made it a lot better, you know. It, and it is going to stay. I'm amazed at, I, I had to do a telemedicine, I broke my foot, and the doctor said, well, show up, and I did, and I'm good on technology thank goodness but he it was hilarious he said uh show me your foot and i said show my foot he said yeah and so i had to literally take my foot up and hold it in front of the camera to show him that the swelling was getting better and he said good i don't need to see you for for a while you're good i want to i want to talk about these masks so would you show us for uh, the audience and talk to us for those who are listening on podcast i want to see the different masks that you've brought and i you know my daughter gave me this one it's yes. cotton and it has stars on it and it's cute. I walk around, they go, oh, I like your mask. But I have no idea if this is a good mask or not. So tell us in just a brief amount of time that we have left, what are the different ones? What should we look for? What's good? What's bad? Sure. So um, I'm going to start with uh, your mask, actually, because okay. that's what majority of the community is wearing. I'll just hold um, it. It's a cloth mask. It is perfectly all right to wear a cloth mask. Um, so what we look for, what we recommend in a cloth mask is three layers, uh, three layers of cloth. And majority of the makers, the mask makers, uh, cl- cloth mask makers, they're doing that right now. They're using three layers. And... Um, 
As far as cloth mask goes, you should wear uh, wash it every day. And um, the other thing is wash it how in the washing uh, machine just, or you can, can wash I do it in it the washing machine or even home? just by hand. You know, just okay. soap and water uh, in your sink. You can just wash it. That's one good thing about this virus is that it's very uh, susceptible to soap. You know, so if you just wash it, it really kills the virus. Um, the other thing with the um, cloth masks some of them cute come masks. with yes they're cute, cute so masks. you can actually encourage kids kids are more likely to wear them i've seen some masks with like superheroes and uh -huh. action figures so hopefully that'll um you know make it easier for kids to wear it but uh, one thing i wanted to mention about the cloth mask is some of them come with um a slip a slip for like um filters so it's a really good idea to use a filter because that's something you can change out every day um so that's cloth mask what about the basic Yes. So that brings me to the, um, you know, medical grade masks. So what I have here, I brought my own masks. So here, this is a surgical mask. And this has, you know, these things. And it has a wire that like, you know, pinches on the nose so that it makes it more... Um, you know, airtight. So this is something that uh, I wear in the hospital. And Can we get these? Um, I know there was a shortage of masks earlier, so but now I think they're doing better. So I think you can get online. them in Amazon and online. So yes, you should okay. be able to get these. I'm seeing a lot of my patients and people in the community wearing these. So these are good. These are something that, you know, um, ideally you should wear it one time or one day uh, but you know with shortage and stuff we're having to be creative with that and for those who are listening only it has a gray strip across the top and then it's just white yes uh, but you know these masks come in many different forms like they come in different colors so it doesn't have to have the gray uh, on top of it just as long as, just as, long as it has that okay. pinch uh, cap capacity okay and then um, I'm going to advance to Another type of surgical mask, this is another surgical mask. It has the same protection capability as um, the other one I showed you, except it has these strings. We actually wear these. It's like apron strings. Yes. We actually, <laughs> I actually wear these. These are the masks I wear during my procedures, my invasive okay. procedures and surgeries. So uh, the good thing about these, these also have the pinch, you know, the wire. Wire pinch. And the good thing about these is that during surgery, like when I, we prefer these because it actually makes it more airtight from here. Mm. So that if you're wearing glasses and stuff, you know, it oh, fogs right. up, right? It right. causes your glasses to fog. This prevents that. This actually causes the fogging to be less. And it says H-A-L-Y-A-R-D. Halard. Yeah, but Halard. these come in many different brands, many oh. different forms. This is just a generic, um, you know, surgical mask. And then... Then we have a lot of people are wearing what's called KN95. Um, KN95, so this is a KN95. This is something that is available online. Um, so this is not N95. I just want to make that clarification. It does give you a lot of coverage and a lot of protection. It, it has... It looks like a triangle. Yes, and it has a pincher as well. It does more coverage. It's more airtight than your regular surgical mask that I just showed you. But I don't believe that this is still as good as an actual N95. Um, N95, so, all right. Yes. What is that? So then we go to... N95, this is an N95 mask. 
That looks so small. It's well, it's sized. Turco- tor- so. Turquoise on the outside. <laughs> is there a name for again? For how? Uh, no, this is just N95. Just N95. Okay. And you're right. It is small because it's shaped for me, for oh. my face. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so it comes in different shapes, sizes. So for I N95, see. for it to be effective. Uh, you need to be sized, um, so you see. need to be fitted for it. My size is small, but what it, it has two strings that like one goes in the back of the head and one goes on top to really make it airtight. And the purpose of N95 is it doesn't allow anything to come in. Um, so it makes it pretty airtight. And uh, this is what we're using currently when we're seeing COVID positive patients in the hospital. Oh, okay. So this is reserved. This is very special. We're not using it every day or, or like, you know, all the time. We're using it at this time to see patients, COVID okay. positive patients. Um, I want to say one more thing about N95 masks. There are a lot of people who are wearing N95 masks that have um, valves or any mask that has valves. Oh, I've seen those. Valves, mm-hmm. yes. So a recent, uh, there's been a recent, uh, you know, um, advisory put out about them by the CDC. Uh, So the valves are one-way valves on most of these masks. So what that means is that the person who's wearing the mask is protecting them because um, it's a one-way valve so the air they're breathing in is filtered. However, the air they're breathing out is not filtered. So while they're protecting themselves, the person who's in front of them is not protected. To them, it's as if they're not wearing a mask. So that's why we're asking a lot of our healthcare professionals to avoid wearing uh, N95 masks with valves because uh, it's not protecting the person in front of them. You know, thank you for that. That's fascinating, at least to know all the different kinds. And now we have some idea of what to order. And the main thing is, is we all know to wear masks. We must if we're going to be in it to win it. (laughs) You, um, in closing, I wanted to just share a couple of things that we uh, identified were were important to you. I call them teachable points of view, but things you've learned. So if I can just read them, and if there's something that hits you, I'd like for you to to um, tell us. Well, one was, don't let others persuade you you can't do something. Well, we heard about that. Don't (laughs) let anybody tell you you can't. You know, when someone tells me that, I do everything I can to can. Absolutely. Yes. You said, with every success, there's hard work. We know that. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. People think that even this, oh, she just shows up and interviews someone. Oh, my goodness. No, there's a whole lot more to it than that. Yes. Define yourself first before anyone else knows you. And that's why you're here, doctor, because you are totally authentic. You're just real. You call your patients, your partners. And that's the kind of doctor I want to go to. God forbid if I ever have any heart problems, (laughs) you you will get a call. Uh, And then finally, you said adversity is your friend. And and thank you for that. You've talked about (laughs) the challenges you've had and you always rose to the occasion so just um one thing i did say that i would tell you audience is the name of her her uh institution which is called (laughs) the 
Bentley, Texas Bentley Hart, and Bentley was her little precious teddy bear dog. I've never heard of that breed. Look it up. I'm going to bring your curiosity in. It's called Teddy Bear Breed. The dog is a little tiny dog, and it's really like a what? Bichon? It's a Shih Tzu and Bichon mix. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And precious. Those of us who love dogs, when they pass, it's very special. So she named the institute for that. I just thank you so much for being on the show, and we are going to put on the on the show uh, at the bottom how people can reach you, and it's really easy. It's her name at gmail.com, and you can look at that and look at it for later. Should you need a wonderful doctor who's not only a wonderful doctor but a very caring person who is doing global work with this Global Health Alliance, and again on the screen, should you want to know more about that, do check it out. They're doing things very differently globally for all of health and aspects around that. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having thank me today, Thank you for Valerie. everything. Thank you for everything you're doing. Oh, you're very welcome, and thank you for having me. It was such an honor to be here today, um, to be able, be able to talk to you and about some of the things I feel very passionate about. So I, I thank you for letting me come to your show. It was, it was a pleasure. <laughs> you honored us. Thank you, Doctor. <laughs> thank you. All right, so here's my Valerieism for today. You can only do what you do if you know who you are. Now that comes from the depth of my toes because so much of my work is around your brand, the who you are. I don't care about what you do or how you do it as much as I care about who you are because people buy you first, then they buy what you do and then they buy the organization that you're a part of. Did you know that? First, you have to make that relationship. And if you don't have that sense deep of where you're coming from, then nothing is going to flow through you. I had a wonderful interview that um, was DeWitt Jones, and you can see that interview. Uh, DeWitt said something so powerful. He just said, until you know who you are, um basically know who you are and and let things then flow through you that was what i remember it was flow through you and he said you know valerie you, you might get discouraged in the work you're doing we all get discouraged but if you'll just remember the good lord is going to let things flow through you if you're authentic and that's the whole show so know your brand, the depth to your toes of who you are, and then you'll know why you're doing what you do because you'll have a purpose to it. And that's my Valerieism for today. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.